Morning, Tosin. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm not too bad. I'm looking forward to talking to our Rastafari. <laughs> dokey. <laughs> yes. Are we, fully, are we fully prepped, do you think? Uh, probably not. I don't think, and I don't think you could be. I think if we approach it in an open heart, and I think we're just genuinely curious, I think... Um, yeah, absolutely. And I am. I am genuinely yeah. curious. Yeah. This is Imperial Voice, streaming from the palace of His Imperial Majesty, Haile Selassie. <laughs> perceive him as not only the Most High, but also we are sons and daughters of the Most High. And redemption means he has taken us out of bondage. Everything in what I do, His Majesty already set that foundation for me to follow. And it's fantastic. This is In Our City, and I'm Tosi Onileri. I'm William Heath. So whenever we talk about his imperial majesty on our show, we also find ourselves talking about his devout followers, the Rastafari. But what is it to be Rastafari? How do people find themselves called to that faith tradition? And how do Rastafari perceive and work with others who are not Rastafari? Today, Tosin and I are going to be discussing Rastafari faith with two guests. Rashanga Baku is an actor and director, highly respected among Rastafari for how he speaks about the faith. And Sister Ruben runs an educational charity project in Wales. She's approached Fairfield House about supporting our educational work, teaching school children about the history and importance of Haile Selassie. Sister Ruben, Shango Baku, welcome to In Our City. Let me start by asking a very obvious question. What is Rastafari? Well, it's an obvious question, but it's also a very uh, deep question, if you like. We are so many things. We are a new creation. Some would regard us as a cult. We are very easily recognizable <laughs> by our dreadlocks. And we are... Uh, a moral contribution to life in this time, I would say, as a movement. And Sister Rubin, did you want to say anything about that? For a lot of people, I think Rastafari does not only represent his imperial majesty, it represents a way of life and a spiritual awareness that I think is growing today and everybody wants to connect in and can understand that spiritual awareness. You, Rashago, your name as Shango comes from one of the African deities. In fact, my I come from Oyo and Shango is supposed to be, I'm supposed to be a direct descendant of Shango. That's how we see it. In a lot of places in West Africa, there are children who are born with dreadlocks. 
and we believe that they are God-given. They are special. They are. Why, why, why did you not gravitate? Why do you think the faith did not gravitate more towards someone from West Africa, a God from West Africa? Because again, most people who um, black people in diaspora studies have shown that they find their roots or were in, in initially moved from West Africa to the rest of the world in, in all different kind of ways and different journeys. Why go to Ethiopia? Why, why did you seek enlightenment in Ethiopia where there was hardly any, if not to say none, of the same kind of migratory um, experiences? That's a very good question, Tosin. Um, you know, there were, to take your last point, migratory experiences from Ethiopia. Uh, Ethiopia, of course, was uh, once known as the African continent, not just the country that has its name. Ethiopia was seen as a uh, a name that uh, spoke of Africa totally. And rather than us looking towards Ethiopia, you know, Ethiopia looked towards us. In 1930s, uh, even our great prophet Marcus Garvey says, look towards uh, Africa. When you see a king crowned, know that the day of redemption is at hand. And we took Marcus seriously as we do today, and we saw his imperial majesty crowned in 1930. And Marcus's words resonated with us that at last the redeemer had come, the king of kings, the lord of lords, the conquering lion of the tribe of Judah, elect of himself, light of this world. These are his titles. From our readings of the Bible, uh, especially um, Revelation verse 5, chapter 5, verse 5, we found that this was who we were waiting for. His imperial majesty, Rastafari, weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah has uh, opened the seven seals, has loosed the book and opened it, or minds were opened by him. This was what had been held um, hidden from us from time. We had come through 500 years and more of enslavement. We were oppressed, we were colonized, we were uh, deluded into thinking that we were less than human, etc. And this was the, uh, the Redeemer himself who came to break all the chains from our bodies and from our minds, etc. So that we could see ourselves clearly as a force for good a force for humanity, a force for life itself, and perhaps um, that didn't um, stop us from seeing uh, West Africa from being uh, a place from which we were taken. Um, but there were migrations from all over Africa to West Africa, especially Ethiopia. Uh, there were migrations, and His Majesty in 1966 said in Jamaica, we are, we are brethren, we are from the same source, you know, um, the Caribbean, we are brothers and sisters, 
of the Ethiopians. So there isn't a, a discrepancy between West and East. And um, we hail Ethiopia. And in these days, we hail West Africa as well, North, South. We are everywhere. We are scattered all over the world, not just in Africa, you know, which is the birthplace of humanity anyway. Sister Rubin, can you, can you describe for us the, the moment, the way that you were first drawn to, to Rastafari, or is it something you were born into? I think the environment I was born into is, is what directed me towards Rastafari. Elders such as Shango led the way for us to be able to stand up in our faith and to feel that we had a place my family wasn't really brought up in the Christian, um, modern day Christian as we know it, because um, as Shango was saying, we didn't deny that we came from East Africa. So there was still that connection. My family are from the island of Grenada and the name Shango is very much alive in Grenada. And as we follow our our, that name back, our roots back, we will find ourselves back with the Yoruba tribe. But like on that spiritual level, that's what leads me into Rastafari. And that's what leads me to His Majesty. That's my route into um, Rastafari. And Shanko, what about you? Were, you? were you born into it or did you, did you find, find your own way? Um, no. As a youth, I was uh, brought up as a cradle Catholic, which is the alternative, the alternative end of the spectrum. I was actually taught by Holy Ghost Fathers from Ireland in my <laughs> secondary school and went to Ireland, as many of us did, for tertiary education. So I have, in my research, found that many cradle Catholics have become Rastafari, strangely enough or perhaps not so strange. And um, it's interesting that uh, sometimes we say we got a calling. I hear a calling over land, I hear a calling over sea. We are called somehow to be part of this mystical perhaps relationship with a God that is real, that is um, physical, that we have seen with our own eyes. As it says in Psalms, you know, we were witnesses of his majesty. It's not something that we dreamt of and suddenly made up to make ourselves feel great, some people think. And that we follow him because of his teachings, because of his example, and because of his um, rulership of earth that wants to put things right, rather than all of us following the ways of Babylon. We have followed the ways that his majesty has taught us too. And um, I suppose uh, as a young person, I was drawn towards Rastafari. You know, you can't say exactly when the conversion happens. Or as Bob Marley says, you know, from birth, you're probably called and you have to work your way, navigate through family, friends, life, environment, etc., to find the truth of yourself by attaining Rastafari, by becoming Rastafari, by being Rastafari. And then perhaps you begin to live, to become, to be 
and to express it throughout your being. So we'll come soon to what his imperial majesty means for you. But one of the things about his legacy is a fantastic musical tradition. So I thought perhaps we'd uh, listen to the first of your, of your musical selections, which you've really enjoyed. And that would be Sharon Little, Don't Mash Up Creation. This song is, reminds me of my teen years. And it's sort of, uh, it's a female artist. And uh, it's kind of introduced me into dubsteppers. And she's militant as we was in that era in the 80s, in the early, um, late 70s, but she sings about loving creation and about nations coming together. So I think this is a lovely track to share. Yeah, um, I mean, you know, women and creation, Eve, um, uh, you know, the first woman, all, all of those things, there, there's a lot of synergy and I can absolutely understand why we, you, female, would be drawn to um, songs like that, um, if I'm not being, you know, uh, what's yeah. called. I mean, 
reggae, I mean, the music is a, is a great part of um, the message and the expression of Rastafari, and it's an industry which is mainly of men, but the women are there and the women were there and we were very strong, even though we were a small amount. So, What is the role? Because it seems to me quite, it can be very male-dominated um, faith. Uh, and sometimes the voice of women doesn't seem to be quite as loud or quite as clear. The reason why I, from my perspective, why I see that it's um, mainly the male is because the environment in which we've had to um, go forward in, and the men are there as our, our protectors, as our, our defenders, so that's why they're there. Now, today, um, you have women who are able in the environment to come out. So you're seeing more women in the face standing out. And, you know, it's just that simple thing. We are there, you know, the Rastafari faith is about the Trinity, you know, the father, son and the child. So in Rastafari, the woman, as I, as I have been treated, has been equal. You know, not that we do the same as men and men do the same as us. We have our roles. We are women. We are mothers. We are teachers. We are educators. You know, we, we but together, um, we raise that family. We educate the family. Um, and we bring them up in the faith of equality and love is the main thing. Every principle of his majesty, you know, is that he was the first person to coronate his queen equally with him so as Rastafari as we follow in the faith we have respect for the woman and I don't find that in the UK society in which they brought me up in they were the ones who told me a woman is the one who stays at home and and and, and is in the kitchen and the man is the one who goes out to work but my family background is more of equality. We do what we need to do to raise the family. Um, I was brought up by my father, actually. And my mother passed away when I was young. I, I, my father cooked, he cleaned. Um, we, uh, he did everything. And that's how Excellent. I know, you know, rest the men, they cook, they cook for their women. They look after their women, they spoil their women. You know, and they go out there and they do the, the harsh work for the women. Brilliant. Your father rightfully set you high standards for the man Thank that was going to come into your life. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you could cook, Shango? <laughs> yes. Come, come and cook with us one time. That'd be really nice. But can, I, can I ask you a question? I'd like to ask both of you, perhaps Shango first. Could you, could you set out for us how you perceive His Imperial Majesty? Yes, um, how we perceive His Imperial Majesty. Well, as we are called by his name, we perceive him as not only the most high, but also we are sons and daughters of the most high. And redemption means he has taken us out of bondage. He has broken the seals that have been upon us from that time, that stopped us from seeing ourselves, from being ourselves, from acknowledging ourselves and uh, given us a vision of life, of fullness, a purpose in life, purpose as a 
movement against the um, the the backwardness of Babylon, for instance. So we perceive him as um, God incarnate, God in flesh, coming in this time to make sure that the earth keeps the balance that was there from the beginning, that we retain humanity, you know, the hungry be fed, the naked clothed, the sick nourished, the ancient cared for, as well as the youths so that we have a policy of balance, fairness, equal rights and justice, which had almost perished from the earth with uh, slavery, colonialism, capitalism, all these isms that were poured down from Babylonian society. And we are in the process of making it right, making it pristine again, taking it back to its origins of fairness, of acceptance, and as our sounds sing, of equal rights and justice. That's a really helpful answer. Ruben, is there anything you'd add to that? Yes. Um, His Imperial Majesty, I think when I moved to Wales and I've got involved with charitable work, equality work, and then I started meeting people who had met His Majesty while he was in exile in the UK and how they spoke of His Majesty. And in learning that His Majesty set the foundation for, you know, human rights, the Equality Bill, all these sorts of things. So in everything in what I do, His Majesty set, already set that foundation for me to follow. And it's fantastic. So if I understood you correctly, Shango, he's perceived as a deity. Is he also recognized as the Messiah described in the Bible? Um, The Messiah and much more in that um, he is visible to us as a person. So that bridge between man and God is that gap is much closer than it is written in the Bible. You know, Messiah is sometimes so far away that you have to Uh, imagine him rather than perceive him whereas his majesty is so real as we are saying in one of our chants just so real to I (laughs) is he perceived as as the same as Jesus or or similar Um, again that's going into the theology of of Rastafari where you know perhaps some of our houses see him as Christ returned in his kingly character, as it is said, you know? And you know of um, Christ's spirit is one that is in man, you know? It is a, 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 rather than it being personalized, it is something that is manifest. Is there like a hierarchy? I mean, we, in our faith, we we have the priests, we have the congregants. How does it work within your faith? We have his majesty as the most high. And then we have uh, the congregation, which is equal because we are all sons and daughters of the most high. The eldership is given credit because um, it has borne the brunt of uh, new, um, something new upon the earth 
we are perhaps third or fourth generation of Rastafari as it is from the 1930s till now. But mm -hmm. um, there are no uh, perceived leaders as such, except of the mansions. You have Ras Bonajis, who is seen as the head of the Naya Bingi. He has passed on. You have Gad, uh, who is head of 12 tribes. You have uh, Prince Emmanuel of the Bobojanti, etc., etc. But as Rastafari, we have one ja, one aim, one destiny, and of late the houses are finding more in common than the differences that may have held us apart from each other. So that movement of unity, which His Imperial Majesty told us is so important, is afoot is growing and becoming more and more our rationale for being Rastafari rather than looking for leadership as in the West, you know. Which is a perfect lead in to Shanga's uh, choice of Morgan Heritage's track, A Man Is Still A Man. <laughs> <laughs> Is whether I'm good or evil. Oh, a man is still a man, whether I'm rich or poor, black or white for sure. The only difference is whether I'm good or evil. Listen, friend, we see lots of different people in the street, wiping car glass window. This is what they do day to day, just to get a little food to eat. Oh, yeah. Then you have others wearing suit and tie, work a good night to five, and take it for granted that they're living a better life. I say the color of our skin don't mean a thing if we do good or commit to sin. We're all judged by the same, and Jai is his holy name. So let's all be aware of how we entertain. Angels unaware, for angels do move through men, whether here or from there. A man is still a man, whether I'm wear jacket and tie or in what fearful. The only difference is whether I'm good or evil. A man is still a man, whether I'm rich or poor, black or white for sure. The only difference is. Where I knew that we were Is where I'm good, I'm evil. Hear these words again. La 
lots of different people live in the streets and wipe car glass window. This is what they do day to day just to get a little food to eat. And then you have others wearing suit and tie, work a good night to five, and take it for granted that they're living a better life. A man is still a man. With iron wheel jacket and tie and walk barefoot The only difference is With iron good or evil A man is still a man With iron rich or poor Black or white for sure The only difference is With iron good or evil Recently interviewed Prince Aswawasen Asarat. He suggests that the emperor should best be remembered for his role as leader of anti-fascism in the last world war. Do you guys agree? Um, yes, in part. But remember, fascism is not much different from uh, enslavement. It's almost devilish in its impact on human life in that it says perhaps one section of humanity is not worthy of being part of the body of humanity. So as the conqueror of fascism, which is one of his uh, known titles, I think a member of his family, a descendant of him, such as Azarati, would write about the king of kings in that light, rather than in the broader version that Rastafari have of him as not only king of kings, but lord of lords, conquering line of Judah, elect of himself, and ultimately light of this world. In other words, Ruth's rightful ruler. And where Azarati's um, opinion of him stops, in that he is a relative of his, he grew up amongst uh, royalty in the court of Ethiopia, etc., etc. We, from afar, have seen him perhaps in a much broader light than his so-called uh, physical kin and have uh, praised him as the most high, the redeemer, the ruler of earth, in fact. So give thanks for Azarati. I have read the King of Kings book with interest because it gives us an insight uh, into his daily life, his court, his rulership, etc., etc. But it does not deify his majesty. It stops short, as you say, of seeing him as God incarnate and uh, says that uh, he should just be remembered as someone who, uh, in the face of fascism, fought for Ethiopia and the world's freedom from this obnoxious uh, imposition on part of humanity that uh, threatened us all with um, perhaps annihilation 
ultimately. I hope that satisfies your question. Perhaps it does. Uh, Sister Rubin, I worked for about four or five years as a um, mentor to um, minority ethnic children in Bath. And um, I wanted to take some of the young people to visit um, Fairfield House. And objections, some of the parents raised objections to the house, um, to visiting the house. And uh, sort of in closer um, discussion, it turned out that they had this perception that if they, it, was, it was a Rastafarian house, but what they were really concerned about was the use of drugs, of ganja. How it, it seems to be um, very closely associated with the faith. Is that a misunderstanding? If it's not, what is the role of ganja within the Rastafari? I would say the the role of ganja in the world today is the role of ganja within Rastafari. If Rastafari has been telling us about something that is healing, and the world is now recognizing that, then um, that that is the way to discuss. However, in a place like His Majesty's house, we have to respect the environment. Can I ask you a broader question? That is, in in your experience. Do you feel that Rastafari uh, experience prejudice? Are people prejudiced against Rastafari? And in what sort of way, for what sort of reasons? Ruben, could I ask you that first? I, I found it more in London than in Wales. Um, but yes, because there's more diversity, I think, in, in London. And 20 years ago, when I was in London, the education was very, very different. Um, I think in Wales, because of the, the, the less population, the, the more openness and just how people live, the Welsh live, they're, they're people of the earth, they're farmers, they're agricultural people. Yeah, Just that way of living is more towards um, how Rastafari lives, the principles of Rastafari, then say in London, the built up city, everybody has to chase the pound. Nobody wants to plant any food or, you know, tend to any animals. It's a different lifestyle. So on, mm. on that level, yes. With, with association to Rastafari, it's always been that. We, we're not in town. We don't have reggae clubs in town. Um, there's no reggae artists that really come into Cardiff if we don't have an issue with the police and, you know, so on and, and, and so forth. And yes, everything is blamed onto the minority black community. But the reality is in Wales, is their statistics is that, you know, population wise, there's not enough black people or Rastafarians in the community to be doing this. And there's still a lot of areas in Wales where there isn't any black people. So you cannot blame um, Rastafari for there being um, ganja up in the valleys or up in North Wales. You know, they're, they're, that's the reality of where, you know, Rastafari in, in here. It happens, it's there, but it doesn't stop. Shanga, it shouldn't do you, stop. Shanga, do you feel that um, you've experienced prejudice as Rastafari? Well, necessarily, you know, um, mm. even from our own people, we are different 
We look different, we think differently, and people are afraid of the dreadlock philosophy, the dreadlock look. Um, you know, we've been brought through channels of slavery and colonialism that have left shackles on our minds so that a lot of people from Christian and other backgrounds see Rastafari as a threat and are therefore naturally disposed to be prejudiced. We have broken through that uh, because of our lifestyle or way of life over the years. We have converted people to thinking positively about Rastafari. Uh, even their feelings about uh, drugs, we have changed that to show that this is a plant of earth, that we respect Mother Earth, and that we use this for spiritual upliftment rather than from mere recreational purposes, etc. But prejudice does exist necessarily in all societies, and we have to uh, work against it rather than struggle because uh, once they come to know us, as Sister Ruben says, there's a much more welcoming atmosphere, a much more uh, acceptance of who we are and what our life is about, what our lifestyle is about, our way of life, and therefore there's more acceptance. Whereas if there is a problem in Bath, perhaps, and uh, the people of Bath so separate from Rastafari that they are willing to entertain their worst fears rather than their best thoughts about Fairfield House and those who use it regularly, then um, it's a problem that we can deal with, that we need to talk through. And I'm sure Imperial Radio is doing quite a lot to allay their fears about Fairfield with people like yourself and Sister Tosin um, and people like Dr. Sean Sobers, brothers like um, Rasta Bandele, and those who have come to see Fairfield in a positive light, spreading that light amongst the people of Bath, remembering the positive things about his majesty and uh, his majesty, not just in name, but in carriage, in bearing, in uh, being, and bringing to Bath a sense of uh, being part of that heritage of royalty and kingship and reasoning that Bath had even before His Majesty came to fulfill, as it were, the possibilities of Bath and to make known his humanity, his equity, etc., etc. I think those things should be uh, revamped if they have been forgotten so that the younger generation through education cannot uh, perhaps be pulled into the prejudice that an older generation may have resorted to today in this divisive climate that we live in, uh, but rather their um, interest in Rastafari should be uh, an educated interest rather than the thinking that these people are, you know, bearers of drugs or users of drugs, etc. You know, that stereotype that has followed us across the world that um, we are drug users and therefore we are associated with drugs in some way. Um, those uh, stereotypes need to be reversed. They need to be um, uh, put into the dustbin of history, as it were, yeah. so that the light of Rastafari can shine 
more brightly and uh, the eldership particularly should know of his majesty's gifts to Bath and not be prejudiced perhaps against us in any way. So let's spread some goodness and some light with the third choice of music. And um, that would be culture, Jar Rastafari. And uh, Sister Ruben, we, we give thanks for your, for your choice of music here. Culture, Jar Rastafari. Um, again, growing up influences with music, culture was a group which as a youngster, we knew the message was in the music. So we followed our groups and culture is very, very influential for me.
So thank you very much for that, Sister Ruben. You have sort of enlightened us with all these pieces of music. So following on from what you said about enlightenment, um, if we say Rastafari choose to follow his imperial majesty, does that mean that you, you also live like him? I try to. Mm -hmm. I try to, the principles of his imperial majesty, but I also have to live in the environment in which I live in. And he also gives me the freedom to be who I am. I am who I am. He also gives me the confidence to be um, on governance. Because his majesty says that we must um, put ourselves in that. I can't remember his words exactly. But he talks about governance. And he says, as Rastafari, we must take our place within governance. So within that, within Wales, I've sat up on boards of management. And because I've sat up on boards of management, I've been able to work with the Welsh Assembly and actually change, not big policies, only small things, but using the principles of his Imperial Majesty, being able to change policies under the name of equality. So um, I do live by his majesty. I do follow his majesty's principles in everything in what I do, but I'm also me. So we've got a similar challenge in Bath. I mean, do, do you think it's possible for us? I mean, obviously we're a very, we're a sacred place for Rastafari and a lot of Rastafari are attracted to Fairfield House in Bath. So it's a, a nexus of all the best of, of what Rastafari bring, and also if there's anything challenging or any conflict between what Rastafari wants and how the environment, Babylon, if you want it here, is, we're going to find that challenge. Do you think it's possible for, for us at Fairfield House to preserve a sort of welcoming vibe and to support um, exuberant celebrations and drumming and fires and so forth, and also be, you know, good neighbours to the people around us and, you know, good law-abiding citizens as his imperial majesty and his family undoubtedly were in the time they're in Bath. Are we not already that? Well there are challenges. I'd say that there's, there's a couple of things. One is uh, I've encountered a perception among Rastafari that he, because his majesty gave the house to his children there's an entitlement to enjoy it as a place of worship or to come and camp or whatever even though there's no facilities there. Uh, I, I, we've been pressed quite hard. Why isn't Bath Council maintaining Fairfield House as a Rastafari place of worship? But Bath Council doesn't maintain Christian or Hindu or Buddhist or Islamic or Baha'i places of worship. It's, it's not their job. So I think, I think there are some misperceptions, which is about a sense of entitlement that comes from the love of Haile Selassie. And then some, you know, behaviours which which we have to manage even though we have no actual responsibility for the house that's owned by Bath Council. So is that is that not going to can we not change that? Can well we're not? trying to we're, we're trying to well we're good, trying, for that. So we're working very hard to take a long lease from Bath Council and say can we have this as a place where the elders are at the heart of it and where the communities, the African diaspora, the Rastafari, the people of Bath, work together in a productive and harmonious way to maintain that. But, but can, it, can we make it as welcoming as it wants to be and also you know, run it sustainably and responsibly? As 
as many other buildings are, yes, as, as it's all about good management, isn't it? Yeah, I guess so. that, at the end of the day, that's what it's about. It's about us actually recognising the value of His Imperial Majesty's house. We, we already recognise it as a Mecca. You know, a lot of people, we say we have to visit that house at least once in a lifetime in, in the UK. Um, Bath recognises how important His Majesty is, and I think they hold on to a little bit of it. But if you're saying they're not responsible to maintain it, then it is for us, the people, to put that into place in order to maintain it. And that's about organisation. Remember how the Rastafarian community have been coming from a place of oppression. So we need brothers and sisters to come together. We need the skills to come together in equality to, to bring that forth, to be able to have the elders and the young people from the school meet because you have these programs that go on with school where the elders do go to the schools and talk about their stories and the young people go and they, they write letters to elders, especially through the lockdown. You know, you build up that relationship with them. Um, you can do educational programs for, for all age groups there in the, in the, in the house. It's, it's how you want to use it, how you want to raise the funds and, and, and utilize it. You know, if there's a space, there's so many things you can do with the space, but it's whether it's within the remits of what the house has been established to do, because we have to follow what His Majesty wanted. Well, I was really glad, uh, yeah, that, that, that Shango, you you made that really clear higher up in the program that you know it, it was given to the Corporation of Bath in response to the warm welcome from the people of Bath and given as a home for the aged. So that has to be central, doesn't it, to the to, to the purpose and the life of Fairfield House? Could I ask Shango how how you feel uh, Rastafari perceive other groups? And is it an easy thing for Rastafari to work in harmony with other groups, such as other African people who are not Rastafari or, or people from a place like Bath, in, in a joint project, a shared initiative? I think so, particularly now that we've um, lost some of the shackles and the stigma of being different. Part of it, as you say, is like working within the um, the remembrance of majesty and the fact that he worked with people of all distinctions in Bath, that he had uh, uh, perhaps people who made clothes, you know, people who he traded with, with what he needed um, to use, his cutlery, for instance, in Bath. You know, there were many, many different areas of Bath that, um, uh, were part of his majesty's daily or yearly um, dealing. Bath was one of the only places outside of Ethiopia where his majesty resided for some time. So this too is important, especially because the city of Bath is also a historic city uh, with its uh, springs and waters, which are like Ethiopia. His Majesty says, well, you know, when I look upon the rolling hills of Bath, it reminds me of Harar, 
So there are many things that can uh, be brought together to create this harmony that we seem to need. And it is through education. It is through a meeting of the elders and the young people of Bath. On one hand, we have school children. On the other hand, we have this legacy to the elderly people. These things need to be brought together so that there's a broader overstanding, as we say, as to where Fairfield House sits within that wide community and how it brings people together rather than creates, um, you know, disparities that seem to exist in life but don't really exist where there is that overstanding. So we have to work on it. Sometimes, you know, uh, as Rastafari, we are so um, enthusiastic to have a place of worship in Fairfield House uh, that may be conflicting with the expectations of the Bathonians, the people of Bath. <laughs> and these need to be reconciled. So education is broad enough to impact on the Rastafari massive, you know, we are not that um, arrogant that we see. Well, this is we place, <laughs> it is also your place. And it is our common humanity that makes it important as a point of reference for us all to enjoy, to use, and to become acquainted with, and to lift up ourselves through knowing this place, through knowing his majesty, through us being comfortable in that uh, wonderful, great building, uh, Fairfield House, that uh, we have been able to keep yeah. over time. And you'll find members of Rastafari on the board of Fairfield House as well as uh, mayors and high-ranking people from Bath working in harmony. And I hope that continues, uh, long may it continue, to uh, preserve Fairfield House as a place of meeting for all people. Because as you say, um, how do Rastafari uh, deal with people of other faiths? I mean, we are not simply another cult. I think we are... Uh, uh, <laughs> We are, as it were, uh, people who embrace what has been before in the world as religions and cults, etc. The Hinduism is not the only impact it has on us. People like Howell traveled all over the world to Russia. Uh, they were part of the UNIA, etc., etc. One of our listeners um, asked us to ask you this question. We all saw the quite combative devil's advocate interview with your friend, Dark as How. Um, is there anything you regret about it? And are there any things you would, have, you know, with hindsight, you'd have done differently? And are you still friends? Um, Dark as How, the great Dark as How, has unfortunately passed on uh, some years ago. Um, but before that, we did have, uh, reconciliation. Uh, he invited me on to the program, The Devil's Advocate, as um, a representative of the Rastafari movement. And uh, it was, uh, I suppose, uh, it has become famous around the world <laughs> as uh, uh, a defense of Rastafari in the public arena, public television, etc., etc. 
the very day after it happened, I happened to be in the same uh, building with uh, Darker Sao, who I've known for some time. We come from the same country, and uh, we have known, our families have known each other for some time. And we, um, we had a laugh about it, about how we confronted each other professionally in that situation. Um, regrets. Uh, you know, as time changes, you mature. And the things you did yesterday and other things that you may do tomorrow. So in hindsight, I don't so much regret any part of that uh, debate that we had because it, it engendered ones and ones to think of Rastafari and uh, to reason about Rastafari in a broader sense as well as bringing his family and members of the movement into it. And as I say, sometimes uh, I'm surprised that people from far and wide have seen it and either say, great, well done, Shango, or uh, you should have, it wasn't so great, etc., etc. I accept that because I had prepared myself uh, over a period of time to do this, to represent Rastafari. You just don't appear on a program. You perhaps have to research and you perhaps have to fast. You have to do certain things that prepare you for that. So that afterwards you don't say, oh, I should have, I would have, etc., etc." So as time has gone forward, I uh, remember it <laughs> uh, for what it was. And for what it was, it is, you know. Uh, I don't have any regrets about it. I think um, we needed to do that at some point, to make Rastafari uh, a public statement uh, on television and uh, to debate its worth, its validity. Is his majesty dead? Which was one of the great questions of, of uh, the devil's advocate. Who are we and what are our choices? What are our aims in life, etc.? Thank you, Tosin. Well, listen, Sister Ruben, Django Baku, thank you both so much. It, this has been really enlightening for us. I have to say there's an awful lot more we'd have liked to have asked you, but I hope you found it respectful and fun and, and worthwhile. We really look forward to working with you both, and, and I hope to seeing you both at Fairfield House so we can celebrate His Imperial Majesty's legacy to us all together. Thank you very much. And as you say, whatever we can do to help bring about what needs to be done, I think we are ready and willing, as we are always. Thank you both very much. Thank you very much for us, Chago. Thank you very much, Sister Ruben. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. I had a, a really great time and I look forward to working with everybody in the future. God bless. Okay, so this is Tosi Onileri. I'm William Heath. And stay tuned to Imperial Voice. Mm -hmm.